All right, well, we'll go ahead and begin. We're a little bit past time. I know we were upstairs a little longer. So we begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have brought us to your Son, Jesus Christ. By your word, dear Lord, you have enlightened us. Continue to enlighten us by the same word in your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, we almost finished Hebrews 2. And so uh, if you don't have that sheet, that's all right. I'm going to briefly hit the end of Hebrews 2, and then we'll go on to Hebrews chapter 3. So, so far, uh, we've got Jesus speaking. This is number one. Uh, So if you go to chapter 1, in these last, so this is verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. This is the key. Jesus speaks, and as Jesus speaks to us, he delivers salvation. In chapter 2, we see why, uh, because Jesus speaks to us and gives us salvation in this way, Our number one job, our response, is what? Starting in chapter 2. What is our number one responsibility? If Jesus is speaking and that gives us salvation, what must we do? To pay attention, right? This is it. We must pay attention to his word. Um, Although, that's true too. We do give thanks. Uh, I, I, didn't even, I, I didn't think about that. As the response of a Christian, as we're listening, that's what we do in the service, right? We're actually giving thanks to God and speaking back His Word. This is another response. Um, but here, uh, the beginning of the response is first pay attention, and next to actually hold on to it. Okay, so in chapter 2 we start, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed, or Pay much closer attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So the dynamic of the Christian life is that, again, we are in a heavy stream, or a swift stream, heavy is, wait, uh, a swift stream, and that stream is sin, and it will take us away from God. If we do not have Jesus constantly before us. So this is what faith does. It it holds to Christ and keeps us still. Otherwise, we would be whisked away. So, that then is our activity. That's what we Christians do. We're receiving Jesus' word and we're holding on to Jesus who is our anchor. Um, And this is what he does for us. So this Jesus dies for us And as he is risen from the dead, he destroys death and the devil. So that's sort of where we ended last time. So Jesus speaks to us. We pay attention. He destroys death and the devil by his death. Now we're on uh, verse 14 in chapter 2. 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So he became like us for what reason? Yes, yes, to defeat death. And how does he defeat death? By becoming like us. That he died. He could die. He could suffer. And again, this is what makes him perfect. But we talked about that word perfect. It doesn't mean that he was lacking something before. It means that his job is done. Right? So to perfect something is to bring it to completion. Now the important part about Jesus bringing everything to completion is there's nothing more that is going to happen outside of the resurrection. There's no new teaching. There's no new revelation. There's nothing more that's going to happen until the resurrection. So the job is done. Christ crucified is the only message. And the last thing to look forward to is Jesus coming again. But now we're going we're gonna to delve into the meantime. Right? That's where we live. We live in the time before the resurrection. So how do we live there? Uh, starting at verse 17. In all things he had to be made like his brethren. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What, what does a high priest do? What? Doesn't he uh, perform the sacrifice for the people? Yes. All right, so the high priest is the one who gets to go into the Holy of Holies. He is the one who, representing God, has God's name on his forehead and has Israel on his uh, breastplate. So there are 12 stones set into something called an ephod, right? And that's on the priest. So he is in the name of the people and in the name of God. Who is this picture? Who bears the name of the people and the name of God? Jesus. Jesus does. In the Old Testament, the entire sacrificial system, the priests, the rituals, the animals, the death, the propitiation of sin, all of that is Jesus. And so we're going to see that the book of Hebrews unfolds the sacrificial system, the, the priest and their system of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Jesus is the high 
priest. He's the one who bears all sins, and he's the one who does service on behalf of the people. So he bears the sin of the people to God, and he makes atonement for them. So this then is what's happening. In the in-between time, Jesus is acting as our high priest. So if you can imagine Israel in the wilderness with the tabernacle, they're traveling, 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 until they get to where? The promised land. The promised land. That's where we're going. We have a promised land. And we will get there. For God is faithful and Jesus will bring us. So Jesus is the high priest. He's bringing us along. Um, and sometimes, we, this last verse, 18, for that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Um, sometimes we think that Jesus, he suffered so that he could know what it feels like. And then I think there's some truth to that, but that's not really why he did it. Um, did, does God have to suffer like us to know what our suffering means? No, he's all-knowing. Right? He knows that already. He knows what our suffering means. He knows what we need. But the added thing of Jesus' suffering is that now he could provide comfort. So when you are suffering, what is the comfort that Jesus gives you? When you are suffering, what is the comfort that Jesus gives you? That he comes suffering worse. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that he suffered and he suffered worse. Okay, so that's one comfort that he could give us. Um, why is it comforting that Jesus also suffered? If we're suffering, why is it comforting that he suffered? Why does that make us peaceful or help us? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, okay, that's true. All right. Now you're connecting it to eternal death. Okay, so why do we suffer? Yes. And we forget that all the time. How often, when you suffer, instead of being sorrowful for your sin, do you get angry with God? Yeah. See, that's what happens is we, we assume that we're innocent. This, this is our perennial problem, right? Well, how, God, how could you? But again, you, you said it right. We suffer because we're sinners. So then why? Why is the suffering of Jesus, why, do, why should that give us comfort? If we suffer because we sin, why does Jesus suffer? You said that forgives our sins? And we are going to be eternally punished because of his sacrifice. Yeah, okay. So, so Jesus suffers for our sins, yes. It's a way that we connect with Christ. In our right, yeah. So it's not something strange. Now, if Jesus would have come, and he never would have suffered, then, and we do suffer, this becomes a problem. Right? Because we shouldn't be suffering. Right? Even today, right, with the reading, we, we endure the things Jesus does. 
Because as he suffers, we suffer. Now, of course, he's not suffering for his own sin. He's suffering for ours. So there's a double comfort. One is Jesus suffers too. And therefore, it's not strange that we suffer. But the second is that we aren't suffering for our sin anymore. Because that's what Jesus did. That's the difference in our suffering. So Jesus suffers for our sin. So now, now why are we suffering? If our sin is forgiven, why do we suffer now? <laughs> this is true. We do continue to sin. That's right. Um, so it's not gone yet. So that's, that's an important testimony, is that we still have sin in us, even though it's covered. Okay. Yes, Gary. Well, there's another aspect, too. It's confirmation of God's declaration of mercy, that he is a merciful God. And if we will turn back to him, as he says in the Psalms, I will turn to you and protect you. And that's all he ever asks. In fact, the sin that we do, you say people get angry at God, right? That's the original sin, turning your back on God. Right. He just wants us, wants us back into the story, that's all. Yeah, okay, and going down this path, okay, so when are we more prone to deny God? Um, when we are suffering or when we're comfortable? What do you think? It could be both, right? Yeah, that's right. So both of them cause us problems. What's, what's, what's more likely in America right now? Comfort or persecution? Okay, yeah, I, I think persecution's coming. I don't know that it's really come to us yet. I mean, it's true. Maybe persecution, um, well, that's not true. It has come to many people who are, who are uh, if they say certain things in their jobs, they may be fired. So I think there's a lot of economic persecution. Um, there, there's a lot of social persecution in the sense that uh, social media reputations are destroyed. So that, that's happening now. Um, but are we, uh, are we in poverty yet? Not yet, right? Um, so, so many times we have this sort of double thing. We're, we are persecuted, and yet we're all here, and we're all well-fed. And, and there's still a lot of comfort left. And so now there's this interplay between these two. You see, Satan uses all this stuff, right? He'll use your suffering, and he'll use your riches. Um, and, and now, you're, you're, in America, many people are having to make a decision. Am I going to stand up for this true thing, or am I going to keep my job? Right? A lot of people are, are having to make that decision now. Um, and so, so now that kind of suffering is a different kind. Um, but going back to what we... Well, actually, we should deal with that too. So there, there, there are two kinds of suffering. One is the kind of suffering where you're suffering for your sin. Right? That kind of suffering is... Uh, now, not even that is a punishment for your sin. But as a Christian, why do you still suffer for your sin? It's not a punishment. What is it? Yeah, it's a strengthening of faith. It's, it's a spanking, right, from God. It's his discipline. 
God disciplines his children. And so, no, he's not going to give you everything you want. Just like we don't give our children everything they want. Because otherwise, they would eat donuts all day and marshmallows, right? Um, and if God gave us all that we possibly wanted all the time, we would be in trouble. Because we would be weighed down again. So, that kind of suffering for our sin is God's holy discipline. Now, the other kind of suffering is the suffering for the sake of God's name. Now, that is always good. There is never a time when it is bad. And that's why Jesus, he doesn't even put a qualification on it. Whoever suffers for my name's sake, rejoice! Right? So that kind of suffering is always a blessing. Okay, so Jesus knew both. He suffered for our sin, but he also suffered for the sake of the truth. Yes, Simon. Well, well that's true. That's true. Uh, one, uh, one feel... Let me put it this way. Um, when we suffer for doing good, it feels better than when we suffer for our own stupidity. <laughs> so, so I think that's, that's more where, I, where I'm going with that. But you're right. Both are, both are equally a blessing in the sense that it's God chastising us or it's a blessing to stand for the sake of Jesus. But you're right. Now all suffering has been sanctified in Christ. So that even when we suffer for our sins, God uses it for our good. This is why we, he can make the statement, he uses all things for our good. Um, so our, again, the, the time in between here is the time of suffering. This is the time of endurance, the time of patience, the time of humility. Okay? Um, because we're not glorified yet. Okay, um, well, let's move on then to chapter 3. All right, so um, I'll read my little summary here, and then we'll, we'll get into it. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of God the Father. Moses bore witness to Christ in all the Old Testament as the servant in a great house. But now the builder's son has come. Uh, sorry, that should be uh, possessive. Um, now, we are the dwelling place of Jesus. Israel failed to enter God's rest. Now we must see this, see his example and cling to faith in Christ. Oops, see these examples. Man, this is bad. Uh, we should beware of sin, for it is deceitful and can harden us if we do not confess it. Proper fear is the fear of losing God through our own sinfulness. Okay, so that's, this, this is sort of the, the preview of what's coming up. We fix our eyes on Christ and we beware of our sin. All right. So chapter 3. Um, does someone want to read verses 1 to 6? Chapter 3, 1 to 6. Do you want to have that? Spoken at. 
but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we whose house are we, and we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Okay. So he starts with this comfort in verse one. Holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling. You see, he involves you right away. You are called out of heaven. God has called you. And this is, so keep in mind too, um, again, I I lean towards Paul writing this. uh, And so, those who he predestined, he also called. That's what Paul is talking about. You are destined in Christ as those who are called in time. The word is in your ears, and it is what you can rely on. So building on what he's done so far is this heavenly calling is happening even now. He is calling you. Consider, or pay attention, or fix your eyes on what? What is it that we can fix our eyes on? Jesus, right? Uh, now, again, the, the, why do we always say the same things in church? Why do we repeat them so often? Yeah. yeah, so we won't forget it. Now, that implies something. You what? Well, that's true. It, it's always the same. Right? It's never new in the sense that it's always going to be Jesus. And what he's done. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't change. Um, What does change? We do, right? We're the problem. (laughs) We're changeable. We're perishable. And God is bringing us into the imperishable. Um, so, So we're changeable. He is not. That's one reason why it never changes. Why else do we constantly say the same things? Why are we so boring? According to my notes from last week, one of the three ways of learning is repetition. <laughs> yeah, one of the three ways of learning is repetition. That's right. To repeat it is to learn. Yeah, that's true. To pound it into us. Yeah, Gary. Well, it's like food and exercise. You have to keep doing it to keep you fit. Oh, yes. And you have to exercise. Right. And so by hearing the word and saying the word and absorbing it, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we get built we get built up. And and I think that's probably one of the best metaphors we can use is it's the heavenly food. Now, which of you gets tired of eating? <laughs> well, it wouldn't really matter eventually because your stomach would tell you to eat, right? So even if you thought eating was boring, do you still have to do it? Of course, right? And this is the thing. It's, it's one of the few things we do where we have to repeat it literally three times a day or four or however many times you eat every day. And if you don't, you will begin to die. 
Right? This is the analogy of the faith. If we are not eating, we are dying. And that is always true for the Christian life. The word of God is the bread of life. Jesus himself says this. And if you wish to eat spiritually, how do you do it? Yes, through the word, right? And what's the activity you're doing? Because you're right, it is the word. You're hearing. Yeah, you're hearing. Again and again and again. Just like you have to chew your food. Again and again and again. And you have to drink water. Again and again and again. Jesus relates his word to living water and to bread. And this is not for no reason. Because it's what we have to live on. And and this should betray us on the deepest level. Because how often do we resist reading our Bibles daily? How often do you resist eating a donut? (laughs) Or maybe donuts aren't your thing. Um, But with chocolate, right? Or cookies, right? Or carrot quarters. Yeah, now, now, one of the best and, and my favorite examples of this is the Israelites in the wilderness. What did they eat? They ate manna. What is manna? It's not just bread. It, okay, I, I just, it, it, it blows my, can you imagine waking up in the morning, right? And, and it's just, there's just, God made bread happen outside. You just got to go get it, right? So you just collect it up. I mean, I don't think we think about how astonishing this would be, right? It'd be like going outside every day and there being a Big Mac in your lawn. Oh, hey! Oh, I guess I'm going to eat today. Right? I mean, this is literally what was happening to them. You know, this is what was going to... And, and now, if God makes bread, do you think it tastes good? I mean, this is sort of the perennial question. What kind of wine did Jesus make? Well, it was really good. We know that, right? Because the, the, the wine taster tasted it and said, you saved the best until now. And now, so, so if you're doomed to eat God's bread for 40 years, it's not a bad deal. But what do they do? <laughs> they complain about the bread. They complained about the bread. What did they want? Meat. Meat. Give me some meat. I'm tired of this bread. I'm not a vegetarian. Right? Um, so, yeah. So, again, th- this is why we, we must keep in mind our sinful hearts. And God will make this clear uh, very soon. So, uh, now we're going to get the example of Moses. So, I'm giving you these Old Testament images because... We're going to hear Moses and what it means that Moses was a good housekeeper. And what it's like to be in the house of God. All right, so uh, first, we have to fix our eyes on the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Um, Now, Jesus has titles. This is the only time that Jesus is called apostle. Um, and yet, he is the sent one. Right? So this implies everything we've been talking about. He is sent by God. But next, he's the high priest. So we're going to deal with both of these. Apostle, high priest, this is who Jesus is based on our confession. 
All right, so verse 2. Jesus Christ was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Now, uh, we do have this comparison in the, in the Old and New Testament of Jesus and Moses. So Moses in the Old Testament was the greatest prophet. Um, and yet, a prophet like him would come. And so Jesus being the new Moses is not just the new Moses, he's greater than Moses. Now, what were Moses' responsibilities in the Old Testament? What did he do? Yes, good. And that was the beginning. That was his, the beginning of his office, right? Who called him? From what? The most famous story. Who called Moses? God did how? The burning bush. The burning bush. Yes. So the burning bush is where God calls Moses, and he tells him to go and deliver Israel. Now this should then mark where Jesus is the sent one. Um, When does God the Father anoint Jesus for his work? His baptism, right? This is his choosing He is chosen by God to do this work. He has the Holy Spirit to go and deliver Israel. Now, what did Moses deliver Israel from? Yeah, right? It was awful. They They were in awful bondage and slavery. And how did he do it? Through the power of God. Yeah, the power of God with plagues, right? There were signs. Signs, lots of signs, right? Um, So all these plagues of God happen. And what was the final deliverance? The Passover, right? And uh, what was the big deal about the Passover? What What was it? Yeah, so Moses gives the command, put blood on your doorposts, right? And it has to be the blood of a lamb. And then what will pass over you? The angel of death. Death will pass over. You will not be touched. Now, of course, for them, that was physical death, okay? And then finally, Moses brings them out after, after the blood of the lamb... How does Moses save them from the Egyptians? The last miracle. The crossing of the Red Sea. Okay, now that's Moses, right? But now we're being given Moses as a comparison. And you notice, what, what, does, what does it say uh, in, in verse 5? Why did he, who was he speaking about the whole time? Based on verse 5. Yeah, listen to this. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken after. You see, he was just a picture. He wasn't the big deal. 
And all the people then placed their faith in what he was showing them about God. That there would come one who would be like him and save them. Because Moses was saved by the promise to Adam. A seed will come from the woman. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. This is the same promise held to by Abraham. The same promise held to by Moses. And it will continue to be unveiled until finally Christ comes. But Moses is the clearest. And after him, Israel lives on the first five books. There's no further instruction in the Old Testament. So these first five books of Moses are the teaching, are the instruction. All the worship, all the preaching, all the law of God is summed up in these five books. So then all of Israel's history is based on sacrifice and promise established by Moses. This is why the the writer of Hebrews brings Moses up. Moses is the one. But now we're being told that all that stuff he did, the very foundation of their faith, was only speaking about something else. It was speaking about Christ. And the reason why this is such a big deal is, do we still sacrifice lambs? No. So there's a new covenant. And there's something new that was so great that it overcame the tabernacle. And this is, this is then the, the shift of where God dwells. Okay? Um, so in, uh, in verse 6, where does Jesus live? We are the house. Yes, that's right. We become the house. Now again, this is, for us, this should be the greatest comfort. And we know that this is the case because Jesus took on flesh. So he has no problem dwelling in us and with us. So that we then participate in God by Jesus. Being united as God and man, we are united to Jesus. So in the Old Testament, you're united to God by the sacrifice. But that was only a picture of Christ. Now you have Christ. And, and this then is the, uh, the astonishing fact. Moses is a servant. What is Christ? Based on these verses. He's a son. Ah, over the house. Now notice, this is speaking very clearly about Jesus being God. So verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ, as a son over his own house, what does that say about Jesus? Who is he? Being the son of God, he is God. Jesus is God. So you never have to wonder about his identity. He makes it clear. Jesus, as God, dwells with us. And and again, this is the mystery of our faith. God took on flesh. And now he still dwells with flesh. Because he dwells in us. We are his temple. 
Okay, uh, so the church then is made up of those who are built as the house of God. Keep this in mind because, hey, it might happen in our time. We may not always have a building. What is the church? It is the people. We are the house of God. This is a wonderful building and a wonderful structure. But if we did not have it, would the church still exist? If we did not have this building, would the church still exist? Where? Among us! We are the church. We are the house of Christ. But specifically, why? He gives the reason in the end. There's an if. If you hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You see, there's a caveat. And now he's going to get into this caveat. Okay? It is possible to drift away. It is possible to become not the church. So this should eliminate our pride. Um, and so this is then the this is our encouragement. All right, so verse 7. Uh, can someone read 7 through 15? Does anyone have that? Uh, chapter 3, verse 7 through 15. Okay, go ahead. Good. Thank you very much. Um, okay, now we get the big warning sign. Right? So we got Moses, we got the wilderness, and now we get what happened to the Israelites. Because as you know, we, we went up all the way through the Red Sea, and we sort of recounted that. But now, they did not just automatically have to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Right? Where, where were they going? Once they got through the Red Sea, what was the destination of Israel? The promised land. And where was that? Canaan. This was all the way back with Abraham. right? Go to the land of Canaan. I promise the land you walk on will be yours. Okay? So they were going somewhere. The wilderness wanderings was not supposed to be their destination. But here we see that they harden themselves. Um, what did they do when they got to the promised land? The first time? Yeah, the first time. 
What did Israel do when they arrived at the promised land? They sent the 12 spies. And then the spies came back. And what did they say? All but two said, forget about it. Yeah, right. Because why? Yeah, there were giants in the land. No way. We, there are huge cities. We cannot do it. So what were they depending on? Yes, their eyes, their reason, their feelings, their senses. What were they not depending on? It's specifically his promise, his word. He said, and if he said it, it will happen. But they would not. Again, the, the failure is not in God's promise. For God does what he says. The failure is always with us. And that we don't cling to that promise. So their faith failed them. Uh, and they hardened their hearts. Okay, so that's what happened to Israel. Now, he uses this example. And he says, now you beware. Okay, now, now we're not Israel. <laughs> we're, not, we're not going to Canaan. Um, but he says, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And departing from the living God. Okay. Um, notice how is the heart defined? If you have this heart, what is it? What is it doing? Believing or not believing? Yeah, your heart is believing or not believing. Now you want to avoid which one? The not believing. So again, faith is the test. But notice, where does faith, uh, what is faith connected to? Here. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry. So in you, it's connected to your heart, right? And, and of course, what it connects you to is the word, right? Many, many assume that faith is this, uh, well, I know that God exists you know, so that's good. I, yeah, I know the stories, and I know... But again, that's not, that's not faith. That's knowledge, and knowledge is good. But it, there, there's a difference between uh, knowing something and trusting in it. Having fear of the Lord. Yes, right. So, so we, again, it, it's not just that we know that Jesus exists. It's that we trust that he will bring us through death. That's faith. But this is why we must beware. is because uh, it, an unbelieving heart is one that departs from God. Now, here we've been defining how we, are, how we follow God. And how is that? How do we follow God? What? Listening. That's it. Listening. So then how do we depart? By covering our ears, stopping listening. Um, and, and again, this isn't just a matter of, oh, well, you know, I, I checked my boxes, right? I, uh, I went to church and I did all that stuff. But this kind of listening is a heart listening. 
Right? It's not just, okay, yeah, I, I heard it one time. It's that you actually have a believing heart. That when you listen, you cling to these things. All right, so in verse 13, what are we supposed to do? Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, this is what sin does. It's deceitful. And it's, it really is tricky. Right? Because uh, usually we, we can stay away from really bad stuff, right? Uh, like murder. That's an easy one, right? Um, what else? Oh, oh, openly stealing someone's car, right? Uh, that's an easy one to avoid, mainly because it's easy to get caught. Uh, Ah, but even thinking it in your mind is breaking it. That's right. So our thought, words, and deeds. And this means we can sin even with things that seem righteous. So one of the, one of the easiest ways of sinning is to assume that I've done enough uh, to make it to heaven. Yeah. Our own righteousness deceives us. This was, the, this was the case in the time of Luther. But even today, it is the case among us. Uh, but for us, it's a little more subtle. Because we, may, we don't have the Catholic system. So we, we're not quite climbing the ladder. Um, but for us, I think it's probably more entitlement. Right? Uh, I have a right to certain things. That's an American mentality, right? I have a right of free speech. You know? Um, and, and so for us, it's more a given, right? Everyone should, um, everyone should, oh, what's the best way to put this? Uh, everyone should go to heaven, right? And that, that's sort of our mentality. And then the, the only way you don't get to heaven is if you mess it up. But that's not the case. So we can't depend then on the things that are in this world, even if they're good. So another deceptiveness of sin is to be distracted with things that are seemingly good, like working. Oh, you know, I gotta work. I gotta, I gotta make a living. Yes, you do. But not at the expense of thinking that you care, you, that if you didn't care for yourself, no one would. God cares for you. Right? So again, the, the problem is sin is deceitful and it tricks us. So how do, we, how do we stay away? Or how do we know when it's a lie? How do we figure that out? Yeah, being in the Word, to be in the truth. And this is where he says, exhort one another daily. Not just once a week, not two times a week, daily. While it's called today. Because there will come a time when it's no longer the time of repentance. So today, do not harden your hearts. All right, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So there it is again. Right? So there is something that can deceive us. There is something that can take us away from God. 
And the only way to sort that out is to keep hearing and to keep clinging to Jesus. All right, let's, uh, let's hit this last portion here. Um, someone read 16 to 19, the shortest section. Yes, Tony. I'll give it a try. Okay. Bear with me. Uh, okay. For who were these, uh, those who heard and yet uh, rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt? Uh, for by Moses and with whom was he provoked for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies were in the, fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. Uh, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. All right. So they failed. And again, it, you, you see Moses throughout, and, and the, it's always on purpose. Um, the Old Testament explains our reality now. So they, these were the antitypes. No, I'm sorry. Th those were the types. Now we are at the time where we see it all revealed. And so here we see they fail. Why did they fail? Unbelief. Unbelief. There it is. And again, you know, <laughs> um, going back to what I was talking about before, um, we eat daily because if we don't, we die. Uh, we are exhorted all the time. Uh, now, eating is sort of neutral, right? Um, you know, we can eat and there, it's not really harsh. Um, but here he talks about being exhorted daily. So why would I need someone to sort of hit me over the head daily? So we don't forget. <laughs> so we don't forget. Yes. And what, what then are we in danger of daily? Not just forgetfulness, but what else? Sin. This is still our greatest problem. And, the, and, and one, of the, one, of the, again, one of the deceitful things about sin is once you learn about it and you know about it, it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I know. But again, the, the word of God always has more to apply to you. And the problem is not that you have figured it all out. The problem is that you are growing dull of hearing. So this is a good test for you. Um, well, let, let's, let, let me turn this around. Uh, what, how would you know if you are becoming hardened in, in your faith? Or how would you know if you, how would you know if your heart is becoming hard? How how, do, how would you know? You question the word of God. Oh, that's one way. Yeah, to start questioning God's word. Yeah, good one, Tony. How else? How else would we know that our heart is 
starting to become hard against God. Oh, yes, there's another one, right? And that one sort of slips in. Not wanting to hear God's word, right? So, not, so questioning God's word, not wanting to hear it, yeah? What else? Anything else that would slip into our... What? Yeah, and, and, and this was one of the biggest things. Actually, in the Catholic Church, this was one of the biggest vices that they tried to fight against. They called it uh, Acadia, but it was, it, it was the Latin word for apathy. To grow apathetic. So not even just to not hear it, because that would be more active, right? I don't want to hear it. But when you do hear it, to not even care. So, so we examine ourselves, and let's just take those three. Right? When you examine yourself, think through it. Are you questioning God's word? Are you saying, yeah, did God really say that? Or, oh, I mean, does it really matter if God say that? Or, oh, maybe God wasn't right. Ah, you're noticing your hardness. Repent and come back. The other one is not wanting to hear God's word. Now, that's a little easier to diagnose in ourselves. And it probably happens often. We think about reading our Bible like, oh, yeah, but gosh, you know, I got to do some chores around the house or, oh, yeah, but, you know, or doing family devotion, right? That's when it really sinks in. Oh, yeah, but, or forgetting it altogether, which I have done and I'm guilty of. And what do I do? I repent. I have to repent because I notice the hardness of my heart. Or the last one. Apathy. And again, think through it. You know, when, when you examine yourself, think, you know, do I actually like hearing God's word? Or am I just sort of hearing it and, yeah, okay. When do I get to the good stuff? You know, the stuff that I do when I leave church. Right? When do I get to the good stuff? The stuff I get when I'm done reading my Bible. Right? That's, that's when you can really start to catch. the dis- Again, it's deceitful. Right? It starts small and it grows bigger. And so we exhort one another daily. That's why, that's why husbands and wives are perfect. They can spur one another on. You know, hey, you know, I read this today. Or hey, you know, I was praying about this. Or hey, uh, you, know, you seem like you're not really excited about going to church. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but that's how we diagnose it so that we can repent. Because we are, in, we are in danger while we're in these bodies. And we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not fear that we won't be saved. Okay, God is certain. And our salvation is certain. But what we do is we examine ourselves so that we can get, get rid of our sin. Because God tells us to do it. So daily do it. Examine yourself. Uh, and then look to Jesus who takes those sins... And gives you righteousness, gives you life. All right. Um, any other questions? Yeah, Tony. I was just going to say, I like the expression, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, Tony. So what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know and I don't care. That's the... <laughs> um, yeah, so, so again, uh, take these as, as great words for you, words of encouragement, um, This is part of the Christian life. We're humble, we confess our sins, and in doing that, we receive the gift of Jesus. So let's pray. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to cling to Jesus. He is our Apostle and our High Priest. Help us always to receive his word with joy. And for those parts of our heart that continue to sin, we bring them to you and ask that you would crucify them in us. Help us to always confess our sins and give us a new and clean heart once again. For the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen.